and I thought it was very inspiring in many ways, also crazy in many ways, but I, I'm also a little bit crazy myself, so that fitted well. Even before my friends had an email address, I was up there doing web publishing for one of the largest banks in Denmark. I did that, their first website. So we have uh, investigated around 7,000 Nordic impact companies and looked at their impact. I think the budget was around uh, 30 or 40 million euros. That's uh, like 10 size of a normal feature film in the Nordic. I was a rock star for a day. It was fantastic. Hello, Richard. How are you doing? How was the seafaring yesterday close to Copenhagen? I guess. Oh, hi, Petri. I'm fine. I hope all you, also you're fine. Uh, yeah, I was out sailing yesterday and it was pretty windy. I was actually about uh, 16 meters per second. And we were, wow. we were sailing my friend's Phantom 42, which is a Danish design uh, sailing boat from the 80s. So uh, we were four people and had a, yeah, had a blast actually on, uh, up in the bay north from Copenhagen. Are you an experienced sailor or this was your... First time in a sailing boat? No, I'm actually, you know, I grew up at the Swedish West Coast in in the 70s and I started windsurfing. No, actually, I started uh, sailing a dinghy when I was uh, seven for some years, but I got a little bit tired of that. I probably wasn't too exciting to sit in the dinghy. So my father got hold of one of the first windsurfers that came to Sweden in 1980. So I started to windsurf and Varberg, where I grew up, became a Actually, a metropole for for windsurfing. All the eighties was one of the hottest spots in in the Nordics. So I grew up there. Just you know, ten minutes with a bike from the sea. So I I did windsurfing from April through November, and also sometimes in the in the in the Christmas from I was twelve years until I was twenty. So I've been windsurfing very very much uh, all around the year for for many years in the eighties and. We didn't have a sailing boat ourselves, but a lot of my friends had sailing boats, so I did a lot of sailing with them, primarily in the in the Swedish uh, along the Swedish coast, but also some trips to Denmark, around Denmark, and so on. So I'm I'm pretty experienced, yes. And my my friend Eigel, he's a very experienced sailor, and he his kids are grown ups now, and his wife wife unfortunately died some years ago in in cancer. So he's planning for a global sailing trip. And uh, and so we are training together. Maybe I can join him. Not you know, not two years around the globe, but some a few months or so in in some distant future when he's uh, sailing around the globe. So that's uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I like it a lot. You mentioned you were also uh, as a student in in San Francisco. Now I'm just wondering whether it was actually the surfing which which you know made you to decide to go there. No, no. I mean, I always dreamt about coming to California surfing in the 80s when I grew up. But uh, then I went to Denmark uh, in 93, started that education called the Chaos Pilots, which was kind of a project management education. And and it was very open to your own uh, forces and your own ideas on what to do. And and, uh, so I actually uh, started to interest myself very, very early on uh, for the internet, Actually, back in summer '94, I was on the internet first time, and it was before the web was even present. So I, I used a, a, B, a, a bulletin board system, which was a Unix-based system, and I came across a, 
global community in San Francisco called The Well, which was the hottest online community ever. There's been reading a lot of books about that, The, the Well. And I got in touch with them. So my first email address was actually engstrom at well.com. And I got uh, in contact with some people there through their bulletin boards and did a lot of discussions with them on topics that I like, you know, music, tech, uh, other stuff. And then in 95 spring, I had a possibility to do a four months international internship at my studies. And I could pick and choose and, and try to find an internship myself. So I contacted the well and I got through to their management. And that was actually... Uh, one of the first uh, ISP as internet service providers in San Francisco. So they did the uh, internet service providers and some web publishing and so on. So I actually got an internship there and stayed in San Francisco from April 95 through uh, July 95. And I learned a lot and I came across some of the coolest people uh, in San Francisco. There were some people that did a virtual reality markup language, you know, HTML. They they actually wrote a new language called the virtual reality markup language and they did the first uh, virtual reality activities over the web you know we're talking back when we we use netscape and stuff so i learned so much when i came home in the late summer of 95 i started actually to do web publishing myself so even before my friends had an email address i was up there doing web publishing for one of the largest banks in denmark i did that their first website i did uh, Renault, the car manufacturer's Danish website, together with some other people. You know, I was studying. So I did the product management and communication. And I find some people at the university that uh, wrote some CGI and HTML and some designers who could do graphics. So, so you know, when I came out of the year 95, I had already published uh, three commercial websites for, for clients. So, so I was very, very early on. But yes, obviously, when I were in, in, in San Francisco, I also did some surfing. So I took a 10-day ride down uh, Highway 1 at some point, actually, around the coast and, and went to some of the surf spots uh, between uh, San Francisco and L.A. There are some, some great uh, surf spots there. We, we, I remember me and a friend, Jakob, we found a, a surf town. It was very, very small. They had this classic boardwalk pointing out from, from the beach. And it, in that small, small town along the coast, I think there were two bars, but there were 10 surf shops. I mean, it was crazy. So it was all about surfing. So yeah, I, I, I did some surfing in, in, in California as well. But what, what actually took me to San Francisco was my early, early on interest in the internet. So while surfing and, and um, doing websites, did you also play or make some music? I mean, I, I didn't do that. I, I grew up, played piano from when I was six and uh, and played piano for with an old lady. I remember I biked from home 10 minutes down to an old lady. She had a big house and a, and a big piano and, and we studied piano there and I had some kind of talent for that. But when I came out of sixth grade, I, I was a little bit uh, annoyed about just yes, playing, you know, Chopin and Beethoven and stuff. So I founded a band with some of my friends and we started to do pop music from seventh grade. And I played with them for about, about 10 years. So I played a lot of music then and also wrote some music and so on. And uh, then I had a long break from mid-20s until early 30s when I, uh, when I had been in Denmark for some years and I found some 
seniors like myself. So we also started a band there and played three, four years and also did some music. And then I've also been doing some music on computers and keyboards. You know, I, my my instrument is piano keyboards, but I also play some guitar. So, yeah, I still play uh, once in a while and, and, and mostly just uh, trying to, yeah, dream away with the with the piano and yes I'm, I'm not so much into playing notes and other stuff so i play as what comes to mind and, and so on and my youngest uh, son at 14 he also played some sometimes so yeah music is a good thing and a, a inspiring thing and it's a, also a little bit of meditation way when you live in a hectic uh, day from early morning to to late uh, night did you publish your music? Uh, is there any place you, we can find your no, albums? No, and, no, no, no. I, I have not published my music. But what? But no, 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 really. But but what was fun was actually when I I had some three, two, three years in the late nineties when I did a lot of uh, computer, internet, all that stuff, and I also started to play with uh, with some studio software early on, Cubase, if you remember that, and uh, did some electronica, some instrumental electronica. Uh, for myself and uh, the the fun thing was when i was about be about to get married my friends uh, caught me one day doing a bachelor party for me and they've got some of those digital files from my wife or my coming wife so they have uh, they have rented a real studio with one of the big producers in denmark who has produced gasoline and, and other stuff so he actually had taken some of my music and one of my numbers and put it into his studio setup and yeah, beat it a little bit up with some extra beats. And then we actually made uh, a new number uh, together there where I was a lead singer and I helped him to create the rest of the songs and my friends did the choir and so on. And that was actually put out on the internet uh, at, at that day. It was actually, a, I must tell you this, it was actually a fantastic bachelor party. Think of you're sitting at your job. We had a, my, my first startup at that point. In This is 2000. We had my first startup in Copenhagen. We did the image software for, for, for the internet, for food albums and stuff. And uh, I said, I said and my, my, my business friend, which was also my, my best friend, Anders, he, had, he said, oh, there is actually coming a, a, an investor on visit today from, from Holland. He's, uh, I, I, I got through to him through some to our lawyer, and, and he wanted us to come by uh, accidentally and see what we do and so on. And of course, I mean, we was always looking for money. So, so he said, uh, "Let's let's do that." And I said, "Fine enough." And he came, and he was kind of you know talking Dutch English kind of uh, accent. So we talked <laughs> about that some time, and uh, I presented our. I was the ma- managing director. Anders was our C- CTO. So, so I presented our business, what we were up to when we were about to get uh, going for fundraising again and so on. And, and so on. And he listened, asked some pretty serious questions on, on all that kind of stuff. And suddenly he just uh, took me and took me out of the office. And I didn't understand what happened. So, so I was so stunned. So I didn't really resist. And outside of the office, there was a big Dodge van. You know that one with a bar inside and sofa <laughs> and stuff, and then and uh, and you know you know that 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 Dodge was had as actually been used for 
new kids on the block the week before when they were in Copenhagen playing. So they brought me into that dodge and there sat, sat five or six of my best friends, you know, with a drink in their hand. So we, this was around lunch. So they drove, drove me in that. We had a drink in, in that dodge with a chauffeur. And we drove to the studio and we made that song for, you know, one and a half hours with the choir and I sing vocals. And then we drove further on. And one of my other friends, he was actually the communications director for the Metro, which was about to be built in Copenhagen at that point. So he had fixed so we can, could come, come 20 meters underground and do a music video. So we came 20 minutes underground with a video crew. <laughs> so there were people filming, and I got some new dresses on. So they filmed. <laughs> After that, we had another drink, and then we took to a studio, and they did the photo shooting of me. And then we went uh, out uh, dining and had some wine. And then one of some of my other friends, they had one of the hippest bars in, in Copenhagen at that point, and they made a release party. So I was actually taken through, you know, studio recording, video recording, photo shoot, dinner, and to a bar where there was a release of a CD. And in, in, in the meantime, they have printed a CD with photo on, put the music on a CD, and at the bar there were like 200 people, and there were big video, wow. video screens on the walls. So I was a rock star for a day. It was fantastic. So fantastic. And that, that, that song called Oi, O-Y, and with DJ Rick Hard was the name they gave me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually published online at that point. And you could find it on iTunes at that point, actually. This is back in 2000, so it's like 20 years ago. That was, that was mindless. So that's the only time I, I have been published as a musician online. But it was a great, uh, great experience. And yeah, um, <laughs> uh, it's really fun uh, telling about that. So, so no, I have not been publishing anything else. Uh, even if I think that I do some pretty interesting music. Well, yeah, that was that was fun. How did you get into politics? In yeah, that's that's actually you know at this school, the Chaos Pilots, which was a pretty interesting school, started out in '91 with a Danish class, and I came came down for the studies in 93 as the first international uh, class for that. It's like a bachelor in product management. The, the guy, Uffe Elbeck, who founded that school and were become the headmaster, or were the headmaster, and he, he managed that school for many years. I think there is like 25 uh, teams that have uh, examined the Chaos Pilots. But he left the school after maybe 15 years, and moved to this was in Aarhus on Jutland in Denmark. But he moved to Copenhagen, as many other of us, and he went into politics for a, you could say, for a central liberal party for for some years. And actually became a culture minister for for a year or so. But he left that party and and founded a new party called the Alternative. And this was in fall nine, uh, 2013. So he founded that, and they released that uh, party with a press meeting in. 27 November 2013 and I know of uh, very well and I know some of the other people who founded the party and, and were part of the board for the party so Uffe asked me if I wanted to join and build their web and social media appear, appearance and, and activities 
So I, 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 everything was volunteering, and we all had jobs and, and our other businesses or whatever we do. So, so, so everyone, everyone was volunteering for this. So I gathered a, a bunch of central people around all that with website, uh, uh, membership uh, application, e-commerce site, uh, social media, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I gathered a team around that, and then we just uh, got volunteers on board, and, and the whole party got about two, 300 volunteers aboard that winter, 2013, 2014. And then we really hit it. And then there was an election coming up in June 2015. And we actually succeeded very well. This was a new, and it's still a party in, in the parliament, and it's a new green modern party. So, so we worked hard for one and a half years, and we actually entered the parliament in the election in June 2015 with 4.8 uh, percent of the votes so we got nine mandates it was uh, yeah it was uh, yeah that was such a journey that uh, one and a half year I, I never experienced something like that it was uh, it was crazy really to see just how people i mean it must have been like you know greta thunberg experience when so many people just mobilize around some of your uh, own values and 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 ideas and 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 yeah and uh, activities for for a better society so that was uh, that was I think that's one of my most thrilling experiences uh, ever. Then you've been also doing quite a bit of uh, production and and entertainment in the mainly in the movies. Well, it was this uh, as I said I started sort of on with the internet in mid nineties and I uh, built uh, some a few companies and some hit off and some didn't hit off, off so well in that dot-com era, but uh, I see, succeeded with a few of my, my projects there. And then in the mid, uh, like around 20, 2002, I felt that I've been working very hard for almost 10 years around the internet, and I thought that everything became very much commercialized and very technology-driven, obviously. That's, that's what happens when technology comes around. People are commercializing it and I, I was more into the internet because of the the community and the communication possibilities and so on and as all I always been interested in films I came across a lady in Denmark who just were about to found a, a, a film festival and we didn't really have an international film festival in, in Copenhagen at that point so she she had a plan to to, to found the Copenhagen International Film Festival. And we talked about that, and, and she saw that I had all that commercial ex- aspects in my career that could help with the fundraising and build sponsor activities and, and ticket sales and so on. So I actually jumped into her project. Uh, so, we, so we launched the first uh, film festival in Copenhagen in 2003 called Copenhagen International Film Festival, and, and it still exists today. It's pretty uh, acknowledged internationally. It's called the CPA Picks uh, at the moment. But uh, so I, I worked with that for five years and built that festival from scratch up to uh, around forty thousand visitors each year, primarily from from Denmark, Denmark. But we also had a Golden Swan Prize. We also had a lot of international uh, directors and film people that came to to Copenhagen for for our prize award and so on. And I got very hooked on on the film business, and I thought I was very inspiring in many ways, also crazy in many ways. But I, I'm also a little bit crazy myself, so that fitted well. So I, I I wanted to 
continue go on and see if I could jump into production and financing. So in 2007, I founded a, a financing company for myself and I started to work with some of the main production companies uh, like uh, Centropa, Nimbus Films and uh, a few others. And also, I also worked with SF in Sweden for the big, uh, you know, the big uh, Temple Knights film based on uh, Yang Liu books, uh, Arne. He came, uh, came out with two big films in 2007 or eight, which were the largest films ever produced in, uh, in the Nordics. I think the budget was around uh, 30 or 40 million euros. That's uh, like 10 size of a normal feature film in the Nordics. And I actually did some financing for them, some creative financing. So I worked uh, quite some years uh, with the financing of films, and then I started to kick some of my own projects. And one uh, of the first projects, which is a small feature film called uh, Black Coffin Vinyls, which is a black and white film from Copenhagen, uh, and uh, and also with some animation mixed into it. That I actually got a Danish Academy Award uh, in 2013. I mean, we didn't make any money ex- exactly out of the film, because you never do in, in Scandinavia, but we got, a, got an award, and I got out on, on international platforms, so I... Spent some years in Cannes and Berlin and American film market and uh, other film markets tried to finance some of my other projects. And we were very far with a Nordic science fiction feature film where uh, we actually had one of the main uh, stars in the film was, uh, what is his name? Yeah, Christopher Hivju. You know, the guy, the Nordic Norwegian guy with the red beard. He's actually part of Game of Thrones. You, you know him when you see him. He has big red ha- hair and big red beard. And he's, I think he's, I haven't seen so much of Game of Thrones, but he was actually in Game of Thrones. And we got him actually as a lead role. So we did a 17-minute pilot for a, for a sci-fi uh, produced in, uh, in Scandinavia. And I went around with that in, in my bag for a year and tried to finance that. When we, 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 didn't, we didn't succeed to finance it. It's, it's hard to finance film, but... Uh, yeah, so I'm, I've been working very much with uh, with films, uh, both film festivals, but also film financing and, and some production. So, but I, I left I left film business in 2013 because uh, if I wanted to continue, I should go international, and I I thought I had my family in Denmark and so on, and uh, because I, I'm not into doing commercial films, you know, like kids films and uh, I mean family films and stuff. I like to do some some certain stories and really put effort to that. And and if you want to finance that, you have to be out on those platforms internationally all the time with three to five projects in your in your bag trying to to finance them. And then it's it's hard work and you have to travel a lot and it's very risky. I mean uh, startups technology is also risky, but film is is one of the riskiest uh, uh, venture activities you you could ever get into. So that was hard. I, I did six years working very much and didn't make so much money. So it was uh, it was yeah it, it was hard, but it was fun and and exciting at sometimes obviously. And also we got a knowledge for some of our films as I as I said. There was also this sci-fi action adventure called Proto. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was a, that was actually yeah, that was one of the short films. That was the first international financing I did outside of the Nordic. So we, I got some fa- funds from a film fund in Denmark and from a film fund in 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 London. 
So we did a co-production between Denmark and England, and and it was actually we shot the film in Denmark for five days. It's, this is a it's a it's a twelve minutes as far as I remember. I mean, this is ten years ago, but we did a twelve minute uh, film with with very high technology. So we filmed four four or five days in Denmark with some green screen and stuff, and then we had a team in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and in London, who did uh, some robots that was playing towards uh, real act- actors, live actors. And we did a small film. That, and that was actually became a very good film. It took a year to do that, but it was became good. And we had release on London London Film Festival. We had our launch in January 2013. Yeah, I'm very, very proud of that film. It's, it's, uh, people should see that. It was uh, very well done, also by, by the sci-fi people. Who did all the technology in uh, in in Denmark and the robots and and had them very well playing with live actors on screen? You cannot see that uh, that this is not real robots, but uh, yeah, it was a very fun uh, fun project, really. So, what was the, the the movie about? There is a robot living in a robotic laboratory, and there is a professor who don't want the robots to have their own life. He wants to steer them to do what he is. So he, he trains them in, in table tennis and other sports things because he wants, in the end, he wants, and you don't know that in the start, but in the end, he wants to sell those robots to to war war company or, a, or like a military company. But the two of the robots are falling in love. And there is one of his, the professor's assistants, who understand that actually those two robots have a soul of their own so he he teaches the robot to play a violin instead, and it's a very very skilled robot. So he, obviously he plays violin very well. But the, but the professor he's he's pretty he's not so happy about that because he wants to manage that uh, robot and don't uh, have that robot pro to, to do what it what what it likes itself. So so it's a conflict between having a technology have a, a soul and and its own. Uh, ideas and, and needs uh, in life you could say how many startups you've been founding and and i understand you you have uh, like we already heard you, you've been doing many things at the same time but uh, i think one of the consistent themes is that you you're an entrepreneur you're always building new things you're always curious you're always looking for for new and exciting things is there something you have done for a very long time? Like one of the themes is is websites, building websites and, and, and being with the internet wave, if you will. Uh, are there any other themes which are following you in the in your entrepreneurial career? I mean, I, I did the, the internet for 10 years. Very, I mean, the internet has always been part of what I do because I like technology. And obviously, when you, when we came into uh, around 2005, everything was technology. Right? So, so whether whatever you did in business, I mean, even you know, even we, we did we did films and film financing. We obviously used the internet for distributing our films and selling our films and so on. So, but you know, I I I, I didn't work so much with with publishing. I mean, I did that in '95 when I came back because that's what people started out with. But already soon in '96, I founded a company within the Egmont corporate. So we built a company. To forty people in two years, from nine, early ninety seven to to uh, end of ninety uh, nine, we built a company at at forty people for the Egmont corporate to do uh, film and kids and and uh, game entertainment. And there is actually still so we build a lot of products in the Egmont corporate and build a kind of a portal to those products uh, for them. So there is actually one. Uh, 
And then they sold that company to an American publisher because uh, Egmont had hard times to really get that internet business going in a, I mean, this is back in 99, 20 or 2000. So it's early on, but they sold that. But one of the products I, I built that, that I was managing is called Game Reactor. So we launched the first game, you could say game media on, in the Nordics back in 98. And that was sold in 2000 to a other publishing company. And it's actually today the largest gaming media in the Nordics called Game Reactors. I actually, I actually built the, the first version of that uh, like 22 years ago. But anyway, so, so I didn't do so much web publishing, but more built companies. And after that, we built a, one other internet venture doing image technology. And then I went into film and I launched the, the festival and then film financing and production company and so on. Maybe 10 companies uh, the last uh, 25 years. And then I have founded the last five years. I've went into an area of business development and financing of uh, startups and scale-ups that do green technology and other sustainable solutions. So I, I have two companies now where we primarily help entrepreneurs early on with financing of, of green technology and sustainable solutions. So we have uh, investigated around 7,000 Nordic impact companies and looked at their impact. How do they reduce CO2 emissions? How do they reuse, reduce uh, uh, food waste? How do they clean acres uh, of soil? How do they include the vulnerable people in the job market, etc., etc.? So we have a platform and made a lot of uh, different uh, market analysis on that market. So we help investors like business angel and venture funds and soft money bodies and, uh, and, uh, and other family offices to actually find the most promising Nordic impact startups that have sustainable solutions that, uh, that uh, do good and make a great business at the same time. So we have that company called ImpactX where we have our, all our data. And then we have another initiative called the One Initiative, where we uh, this year, for the second time, do the Nordic Impact Business Summit in September, 17 September. And we're also doing a, a Nordic Impact Investing Report this spring and summer and, and, and write that and, and launch that in September. So I, uh, the last five years, I've been working with business development and, and financing uh, in uh, impact uh, impact business. How do you define impact and what is good impact? You could say that is a, a personal view at the same time as it, as it is an objective view because I think that impact is obviously something that you do to have a positive effect on people and, and society and environment and, and the planet as such. But, but an impact is good if you really know what kind of impact you do. So you have to, I mean, if, if you really have to be professional and serious about that, we have actually developed a, a, a system we call the impact business modeling system. So we look at three things. We look at the impact mapping, the impact tracking, and the impact scaling. And if you 
do impact mapping, you have to have a theory of change. You have to understand what are you putting in as resources, you know, like capital, competence, people, to solve a problem. And what is the, the impact of that in the end? To give you a, a simple example, you could say that if you have people drinking too much alcohol and misuse that or abuse that, you can put in some competence and people and some capital to start a company that helps alcoholics. So, so you put in that resources and then you get the output, which is maybe, say, a course that those people take. And what is the outcome? Then the outcome is that those people or some of them obviously get out of alcohol and can live a normal life again. And then the impact in the end is that society gets better economically, socially. So, so that's a theory of change. You say, I have some competence that I can help people that have a problem. What is the output? If I put in that competence and some money, I make an application or a, a course or something else. And what's the outcome? The people or, 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 or the people with the problem have a solution. And the impact in the end is larger than that for society. So that is actually how you map impact. If you then have a theory of change, then you can track it. You can say, okay, how can I set up some targets or KPI for that impact? So if I have a course for people with alcohol abuse, I can see I want to have 10 people through my course each semester or each season. I want to have eight of them to get out of alcohol and two yeah, so that's my target or my KPI. So if you if you have a target KPI, then you can start to measure that, and then you can report that back to your investors or to the the customers, the one who will take your course, or back to society. So that is first mapping your impact, then tracking your impact, and then obviously you can scale that impact in a way how you how you do that business model. So if you start to teach. Others that also can train those people with alcohol abuse, you can scale that because then you have more trainers. So that's if you do a business model where you, you are not doing all the teaching yourself, but you are teach, teaching teachers, then you can scale your business. So that's the way we approach companies, whether they have an app for food waste or, or a re renewable technology for, for renewable energy or social inclusion or, or whatever. So we help them to look at their mapping, their tracking and their scaling of their impact. So and that's also a way for us to understand those companies when we pick out the most promising companies and present them to investors. So, so I think that that's a serious way to work with impact. You've been screening quite a bit of impact companies, at least in the Nordics. Can you say that there's some kind of clusters or, you know, some countries have more like uh, higher density of certain types of impact companies, or are there any differences between them? There is a little bit of yeah. differences. If, if you look a little bit on it, uh, in uh, Finland, where you are from, you have a lot of startups, in impact startups in, uh, in health and uh, helping out with mental health and, uh, and health platforms and so on. You are pretty far in that area. If you look at Denmark, Denmark is a little bit more far in social inclusion. We have a lot of impact startups and companies that include people with autism or other problems, uh, former uh, uh, prisoners and uh, 
people with uh, different abuse and get them replaced in the job market. If you look at Sweden, they have more companies uh, into renewable energy or, or energy, energy sources like batteries and, and, and stuff. And, and, and Norway obviously have a marine focus. They, they're trying to change their society from being fossil fuels, uh, yeah, building a, their economy on fossil fuels and now building their economy on, on sea. So, so, but I mean, we are pretty much the same. If you read our reports, it's not that big difference. But if, if you should say social inclusion and equality is strong in Denmark, mental health well-being in, in Finland, energy in, in, in Sweden, and, and the sea water in, in Norway. What about investors? Uh, what are you seeing in the last years uh, in regards to investors? Are there more people coming into the field? Uh, are there more institutional investors getting in, involved? What's the trend and what do you think is going to happen in the near future? I mean, um, there are more investors coming in into uh, to this. It's quite simply because we can see from our last report we did uh, last year, which is called Impact Report Nordic Investors, where Nordic investors uh, participated in, in an online survey. We asked them about their approach and activities uh, in impact investing, if they do, if they don't, how they do, how they don't, etc. And it, And why are more getting into this? It's quite simply because 83% of the participants in our survey last year of Nordic impact Nordic investors in general, they expect their impact investing to deliver a financial return above or at market rates. So 83% actually think this is uh, a good business opportunity. And in the long term, when you look at uh, investments for more than seven years, 40% of the Nordic investors, they expect their impact investments to be a better financial investment than their con- conventional investments. So it's 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 about the money, and you know, there are so many consultants running around with this seventeen uh, colors badge on their jacket. You know, all these uh, badges people run around with, and they talk so much about this and that and and that when it comes to to all this sustainability. And you know, investors they don't that don't matter in 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 the long run. If it's a good business opportunity, they invest in impact. If it's not, they don't invest in impact. That's they in it for the money, and they that's the mandate they have when they help other LPs to to invest through their fund. So it's about the money. Uh, that's why they do it, and we can see that that it's actually a good expectation and results when it comes to to uh, deliver a financial return also on impact. And we can furthermore see that. Uh, 76% of them invest in renewable energy and 47 in health and 46 in education. And I think that is also interesting to see that, you know, Nordic, we have, have had this 100 year of a social democratic, uh, democratic tradition. So we know how to combine social development with financial development. That's how our societies are based. And, you know, the welfare system is, is the, the f- fundament for that, and obviously health and education are, are big parts of that, that everyone should have access to health, everyone should have access to education, and we also have been good at renewable energy 
sources. You know, with hydro energy in in Norway and Sweden, and and wind energy in Denmark, for for instance. So so also impact investors look very much still into renewables and health and education. So can you say that? Impact investing is actually value investing. So you just uh, choose basically the values and, and, and then you look for those companies who are aligned with, with your view of the world. Yeah, sure. I'm totally, I mean, you're totally right. And that is why we, we do this impact uh, report this year again, as I said. And so we just launched a new survey. And actually one of those questions is actually for the investors. It's many questions in that survey. But one is actually how do you align your values with your investments and it's very much about i mean if you're if you're a, an investor going for impact seriously you should think through what values do you want to bring to the world and and how can you then invest in solutions so those values are implemented along your capital so obviously if you are an, a serious investor you do some strategic work and think about what values is a inequality a big value for you that you like to have a more in a more equal world in between people then you should obviously look for companies that work with uh, reducing inequality if uh, if a sound if sound health is something that is a big value for you, then you should obviously look for those Finnish companies that do mental health platforms for kids around, say, bullying or HDAD. So so you should obviously look very strongly on what, what is valuable for you and do a strategy on that. And then you can get our help or you can research yourself for companies that, that have, have solutions that implement that value in society and the world. What makes you happy? Happy. I mean, it makes me happy to to have a day like today when I can get up at six and it's all quiet. I can have a cup of tea. I can take a run and I can sense the nature and I can sense the world and I can come home and have something, have a good breakfast and also have some opportunity to read something interesting from from books and and so on. So. To have that opportunity to be fit, be uh, aligned with nature and, and your body, and at the same time have intellectual uh, uh, inspiration and intellectual work. But I also like a lot to to have uh, uh, to have dialogue with people. I really love to to sit around tables with people and, and talk broadly in different areas. The, the areas that I like mostly is history, politics, and, and technology. So, so I think those areas are interesting to to have people in cross disciplinary discussions. I, that makes me very much happy. What are the books and themes you currently reading or interested? Uh, at the moment, I, I've I've I was very in. in uh, I came to. I hadn't read philosophy for quite some some years, and then I I was very inspired. This this fall, I took a few weeks off and read a lot of books. And I read those books by Yuval, what is it called, the Sapiens and the Homo Deus. So I read all his books uh, this fall, and they are thick, so it's 
say it took a few weeks. I read them and I did some thinking there. And now I'm I also also very inspired now by thinking in new ways of, of economics and new ways of, of our economic systems in the world. So at the moment I'm reading Piketty and his book book The, the Capital. I didn't read that when they, it came four or five years ago, but I'm reading that now. And I also bought his next book that just came a few weeks ago, uh, at least in Danish a few weeks ago. It's, it's very hard to read in English. I'm, I'm, it's very, very hard. So, so I waited for the Danish translation. It's called uh, Capital and Ido- Ideology. So, so that's on my, my shelf at the moment, uh, economics, uh, philosophy. How do you define success? I think success is to be satisfied yourself. It has nothing to do with uh, reaching certain targets or, or goals. It's uh, success is to be satisfied. And it doesn't have anything to do with venturing or entrepreneurship at all. If you're a person that are satisfied with yourself, so you feel that you're grounded in your own life and that you're very happy with, with where you are and the people you have around you and the life you live No matter what it is, actually. I mean, I, I, I don't have a morals in that way that people should live their... I mean, I, I obviously like that people think about their life and how they can do good for others, not doing good for themselves only. But I think that su- success is actually if, if you're satisfied with yourself, firstly, and have a good self-esteem, and then also uh, are satisfied w- with, with the life you have around you. I think that is success. What drives you? What what makes you uh, wake up in the morning and 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 go running and and you know discover these new new things and eventually come up with the new new business plan and and, and company out of at the other end. I mean, um, I'm if I really look at at myself and I think and, and understand what I'm, I'm I'm doing. I'm 51 years and have lived half my life somehow. And I'm, I'm, I can see that I'm searching for meaning. So I think that what drives me is actually searching for meaning, meaning in my own life and meaning for for life and 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 people in general. So to really see what is meaning and how could meaning be achieved for all of us. So so that drives me very much. And I'm very sensitive to what's coming next. I, you know, I, I as you heard a little bit about myself, I, I've. I think that I, at several occasions, I have shown some kind of leadership at unknown and uncultivated markets. You know, I started with internet very early on in '94. I tried to do the first science fiction production in the Nordics. I'm I'm been building impact business ecosystem for five years before even the sustainable development goals was uh, was there, and the, no one talked about impact and so on. So I, I think that I'm I'm very sensitive to what's coming next. So. So I think that uh, to to be able to to understand what's going on, to be able to talk with people on on the the evolution back in history and the, and and forward, that that makes me makes me happy. But I'm also very happy to to be nature. I love uh, you know using a wave as a power to transport me in a sail ship on a surfboard or or. Or, or a run in the nature, or or, or hike on on mountains. So I also that makes me also very happy to to be part of nature and feel that I'm a small brick in in the bigger picture, also in in the in the forces of nature. 
So what do you think about the post-corona wave? What's going to happen in the near future and how our life is going to be changing and looking into the next 10 years? I think that I think that you know we are all already getting back to normal. I mean, you know, we're opening up all, already even Italy who has been so affected by corona. You know, they are opening up now and they even say that uh, mid-June you could come traveling to Italy again because we need you as uh, tourists. So I think that short term we will go back to normal. That's how we are, but I think that some people working on another level with economics and politics and policies and security and environment and climate, they will they will hang on to this as an opportunity to kickstart a new way of seeing our global system of economics where growth might not be the, the, the holy uh, grail, but something else will will define what what is good economy for the world but also on security and migration and and other policies for so i think that on a long term say on a 10 year perspective i think that we will change towards a world where where we will uh, bring values uh, and follow values in all parts not only in politics but also in ec- economics and so on which are about a better climate, higher equality, and uh, and higher certainty for for life somehow. What are the aspects of Copenhagen you enjoy very much? What do you mean? Um, you you are Swede living in Denmark, and and Copenhagen obviously is a very wonderful place. So I'm just uh, asking any tips you have for anyone you know when when the borders are opening up again and you can do some traveling. What is what is fun to do? What do you what do you really love about Denmark in in overall and 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 then you know Copenhagen? Particular? I mean, there are, there are many things to Copenhagen, and and I mean, I've been in Helsinki a few times. There are many things to Helsinki as well, or Stockholm, or Oslo. But I think the Copenhagen is interesting. You, when you come here, you should bike. You should rent a bike, a good bike, really good bike, and 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 bike around Copenhagen because it's it's one of the most bikeable cities in the world. And you uh, you uh, approach the city in a total different way. When you go biking, I mean, I also do sightseeing buses. You know, sitting on the roof and so on. When I go to to all all capitals, I always do two hours of sightseeing because then you get a fast and speedy introduction to a city from a good guide and so on. But then I rent a bike or I go with a, a, a what do you call those uh, cyclos where you can sit in front of a biker. And because I think that is a very nice way to to approach the city and see a city from that level. And you are you are very easy coming around. So I think you should bike in Copenhagen. So that is a very interesting thing. I think you should spend the, the harbor. We have the harbor close in the city, and we have clean waters. You can, if you come in the summer, you can jump into the water everywhere around the harbor. So that is a nice thing that I like very much. If you come in the winter, you can use one of the sauna clubs, which I also do, and you can jump into the water after a, a hot sauna. And then I think. Uh, you should obviously visit Christiania, which is that uh, society, that military area that was occupied in the 70s, that now is its own society in, in the city, owned by, by the people who live there. And that's a beautiful area. It's a, it's a spectacular place because there is a lot of different people there. Obviously, there are also a lot of drug dealing, but there is a lot of interesting people and they have built some 
very peculiar houses and stuff that you see from the from the Hobbit films and so on. So the people are living in a very uh, different way. They're still integrated in in a cosmopolitan city like like Copenhagen. So so I, I think that. And and last thing, I think you should go up to Louisiana, which is a fantastic art museum. We have like a membership there, me and my wife. So we go there probably once once a month, and they have good uh, collection of art, very contemporary, but also great uh, older art. And they have always good uh, good uh, exhibitions, and they also have a great area for kids where they can you can draw and paint and 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 so on for yourself. So if you like to place your kids for for an hour. In a creative studio, you can do that, and then you can just yes, stroll around and see all this great air. And it's a nice area by the sea. In the summer, you can sit outside and have lunch and so on. So, Luciana is like 30 minutes north from Copenhagen. It's a great uh, art museum. I think you should see that. And then maybe the last thing I haven't tried it myself, but this year we opened up a, a outdoor ski hill in Copenhagen called Copenhagen Hill, and it's built on on a uh, on a plant that is actually an energy plant, so they are burning uh, waste there to do, to uh, to produce energy, and they built a ski ski hill up that, and they have a climbing uh, side which I think is like ninety meters or is like when maybe the highest uh, artificial climbing area in the Nordics. It's like hundred meters high climbing, and then you can go hill downhill on this kind of grass uh, plastic kind of uh, material and in the winter obviously there might be some snow and I think that is a pretty interesting fun thing very Danish somehow to, to build a ski downhill track on, on top of a, a new uh, energy plant it's just uh, in, in the city of Copenhagen What is your favorite word? My favorite word? Yeah, my favorite word is actually two words, but but maybe let me say if if, if it's only one word, it would be anarchy. But I think that if you put pragmatic before it, I, I think it fits very well. So I'm I'm keen, I'm a little bit anarchistic, but I also I'm also very pragmatic to to achieve something with that chaos. I try to uh, uh, jump into or or, or the. This, the deconstruction or disruption of, of, of old things to see it in a new way. So I think that pragmatic anarchy is, is my favorite word. What is your least favorite word? That's conservative. I cannot stand conservatism. What turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally? Well, I... I, I, I think I've answered it already, but... It turns me on to to try to understand what's what's coming next, what's up, and understand how how things are interconnected, interdisciplinary between politics, economic, technology, history, uh, nature, ideas, and so on. So that that's that turns me very much on. What turns you off? I think that what really turns me off is people that don't want to change themselves to improve life for others, but rather keep uh, things as they are. I mean, if you don't want to change yourself a little bit so you can improve life for others, uh, that really turns me off. I get really angry on such people. 
What is your favorite curse word? It's in Danish, actually. So it's shit in Danish, and you say, Lord. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, there is one sound, and, and that has to do with uh, how I grew up, which I told you about my surfing. I think the sound of waves entering the beach, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a stunning sound, and it's so much... Uh, carries so much life and energy and uh, and uh, power so the sound of entering waves entering the beach i think is uh, i could fall asleep to that i could wake up to that i could live with that sound whenever it will never terror me to have that sound around me what sound or noise do you hate uh, i think cars in the street is pretty annoying actually i hate cars in the street uh, i'm looking forward to this electric uh, evolution of cars so we so we can have as much silence as possible in the street. So we can hear the birds when we are biking inside the cars, and, and we can we can hear people talking and 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 crying and laughing and so on. So cars in the street is it's very annoying, I think. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I mean, I th- I th- think it would be interesting to to be a scientist, or, you know, really to study astronomy or, or uh, geology or something like that with nature but it, it doesn't fit so well to me I'm, I'm, I'm uh, it might take too much time and be a little bit too slow for me to to do all that research and very very long sprints I'm, I'm a little bit faster than that so I, I'm very happy in the way I work today as a creator and builder but if it's something else that I like to work with, uh, and I'd like to be a musician or a fiction writer for books and film, that would be nice if I can only spend my time on, on creating music or, or, or fiction for books and film. That, that could be fun. What profession would you not like to do? Well, back to the cars. I, I, I hate driving cars. We have an old, old Volvo, and we only use it to go to our summer house. In Copenhagen, we only bike, so we have an old v70 from from 2002 and it's almost not sticking together no more and and when this car dies we will not buy a car anymore so i think that driving a cab in the city or 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 driving trucks along the autobahn i I would die i would die doing that if you could be a co-founder of any startup at any era which one would you choose well you know uh I love the Renaissance, especially the Italian Renaissance. Da, da Vinci is, is my he's my biggest hero and idol and inspiration somehow. I think it's and and some of the other people living in in that in that time. And I think it was so interesting how they mixed the technology. Obviously, there was no digital technology at that time; it was mechanic technology. But you know, they they did. Uh, windmills and the first submarines and aircraft and they did clock mechanics and uh, all kind of mechanics but they also did a lot of art and there was a lot of philosophy so i love that era and i think that i know that one technology that came around at the first time in the renaissance was actually the flush toilet so i think that i would have loved to be the first startup for flush toilet technology <laughs> in the Renaissance Italy in the 16th century. Think of that to be the first flush toilet technology startup in the 1600s, say in F- F- Florence or 
or Rome, that would be fantastic to have on your CV. 